This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. It is Wednesdays. It is Wednesday, rather. But on Wednesdays, we have uh, MVSW Redux uh, with our man Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. We're ranking goaltenders today, but also plenty of grist <laughs> for the mill in a couple of moments. He is never... <laughs> Uh, held out for trade-related reasons, never scratched for trade-related reasons. Either he's untouchable or nobody wants him. He is Greg Wyshynski from ESPN. How are you, Wish? I was laughing the other day when somebody bought up the Chikrin thing, and they're like, they're like, is this fair yeah. for him? Is it fair to do this to Jacob Chikrin? And I'm like, okay, so here's a guy that has requested a trade for the over a year, um, and you're saying yeah. in order to facilitate that, you have to not work. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure he's okay. <laughs> okay with play, paying that toll. Like, well, here, see, we're that, gonna. That's the that's the one. That's the, the 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 one thing that I keep coming back to in all this because I think this conversation, like, I think it's a conversation between the NHL and the Players Association. Like, okay, like, I don't know that you have any authority to do anything. Teams are free to run their teams as they see fit. You know, the NHLPA doesn't make roster decisions for NHL clubs, but. The the reason why I'm fine with it with players like Jacob Chikorin is they've asked to leave. Okay, right. so if there's an official trade request, I'm fine with holding the player out. What I don't like is we've decided to trade you. You don't have one of these fancy no trade or no move clauses, but we're going to move you by deadline, so we're holding you out. That one doesn't sit well with me. If the player's asked for it, no problem. But if the mm-hmm. player hasn't asked for it and you just decide I'm sitting on this asset and so you're not going to play, I don't know. I kind of look sideways at that one, Wish. And it's such a weird arbitrary thing too. Like you look at the San Jose Sharks and we all know they're having conversations about Timo Meyer with a number of teams. They also have a 0.1% chance of making the playoffs. And yet there's Timo Meyer out yep. there <laughs> scoring goals, doing his thing. I mean, you'd figure if anybody would be careful with with an asset right now, it would be the San Jose Sharks, knowing uh, how important getting that yeah. trade uh, correct would be. But uh, but again, it's it's a it seems like it's a very team by team thing. But you know what? Even just the term trade related related trade related reason, like we all and we're saying this on the pod on the weekend, we all still look back and kind of giggle at Chris Botta's. Um, general body soreness press release as they tried to disguise a Rick DiPietro <laughs> injury, right? No, very clever in its vagueness. And I think Chris is still very much proud of it, and he should be proud of it. It was brilliant. Um, but that, you know, that essentially covered up what the injury was. I'm wondering if saying, for Chikrin specifically, because the, the theory is out there, that trade-related reasons, I mean, an injury could be a trade-related related reason, whether it's an insignificant injury or something significant. Like, it's a really vague term. I mean, we are just we just assume that it implies, well, we're about to trade him. I mean, if you're going to move a player and he gets a little bit dinged up, I mean, the free pass is just saying, yeah, it's a trade-related reason. It's not an injury, right? Kind of a did the Coyotes invent, brilliant, vague did the Coyotes term invent, in the NHL. Did the Coyotes invent that term? Like, Because Columbus used the same language when they made their announcement. And I was thinking, I, I remember reaching yeah. out to the Coyotes to tell them how refreshing it was that they were so candid about this instead of playing the usual uh, the usual verbiage games. 
about why guys are being left out of the lineup. Oh, he's he's taking a maintenance day. No, he's not taking a maintenance day. He's got an upset tummy or something, or he needed to go, you know, get ready for Valentine's Day or whatever. Like it, it's it's really cool that there was a bit of candor yeah. now, and also the best kind of candor, Merrick, because it's candor that gets us excited about what will probably happen, like a trade related. Uh, absence from the lineup just it, it was like Pavlovian we all started salivating the entire weekend was us spent mm-hmm. waiting for a Jacob Chikrin trade it was great for business it was and it was and a couple of things happened one it uh, well circulated a pretty big sort of cottage industry of you know Jacob Chikrin trade rumors but two it sounds like it may have brought more teams to the table as well like we've seen this before. I mean, how many times have you seen a trade gets made and you talk to a general manager from a team that was in the hunt from that for that player and they turn around either publicly or privately and say, I can't believe they made that deal without checking with us. We yeah. could have offered more. It sounds like this might have been also kind of a clever way to bring more to the table, you know, create the impression that you're close to a deal publicly and, you know, bring out, uh, oh, hi, Yarmo Kekalainen. I wasn't expecting your phone call, but now that I have you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is all about the LA Kings. Like if they're trying to bring other people to the table, it's in service of coming up with some sort of offer that is going to compel the LA Kings to bring more to the table. I am convinced of that. I don't think that the LA Kings interest in Jacob Chikrin uh, dates back to, uh, you know, the dawn of time. It feels like uh, it feels inevitable. They've got the assets to make this trade happen. They've got the the want and need on their blue line. And they're the one with the ticking clock. Look, man, like Anje Kopitar drew Doughty not getting any younger. Anje Kopitar also has a contract yeah. uh, that doesn't go in perpetuity uh, as well. So I think all the pressures on the Kings, I think the Coyotes know they're a good fit. I think the Coyotes like what they have to offer in this deal. And it's just a matter of working out the mechanics of it. And maybe one of the mechanics of it is... Can we convince you to tell your boy Brent Clark that he is now a coyote if we can bring other people to the table to ante up some <laughs> offers that compel you to do so? So so here's yeah, that's interesting. Let me let me throw another idea out at you then. Is making that public a way to try to get the Los Angeles Kings to add something or to subtract something? If, let's say the LA Kings are saying okay, we'll make this deal. We're cool with these players, picks, prospects, whatever, going the other way, but we also need some money to go out. And the Arizona Coyotes Coyotes are saying, yeah, we're not in the adding money business right now. Thank you very much. Could this be a way of drawing other teams to the table to get LA to take something off the table, not put it on? It feels like as an entire um, collection of, of hockey fans and punditry, we've been all trying to dance around the obvious, which is that the Los Angeles Kings currently have a goaltender in their system earning $5 million against the cap uh, for, through 2025, and yet it's Phoenix Copley and Jonathan Quick that are currently on the roster uh, doing all the heavy lifting. Um and so this sounds very much like a Cal Peterson problem. And I agree with the Coyotes in this, this situation. These types of trades where the Coyotes have the player that is desirable, when the LA Kings are the ones in the hunt, these are not the trades in which you start attaching salary going back the other way. I mean, granted, it is the Coyotes 
it is sort of the franchise mantra of all are welcome. Please send your dead money our way. It's kind of been their thing, <laughs> but it's been usually yeah. in service of getting someone else's draft picks, making it worth their while, that whole thing. Now they're in the position of power. Now they're in the position of having the player that they can ship out to any number of teams. So the idea, and I again, I will stand in, in Bill Armstrong's corner on this, the idea that they should be the ones taking on dead money is not the way it works. If anything, the LA Kings should find another way to get that money off their cap that doesn't involve the Arizona Coyotes once again being somebody's charity case. Um, I, I just wonder if the LA, if the uh, Arizona Coyotes right now are in a place where, like, look, we all know what's happening with the organization. We all see, you know, uh, the number of seats at Mullet Arena, for example. We can all see contracts going out the door. I just wonder if the Arizona Coyotes are saying to anybody out there, if you're making the move for Chikrin, we're not going to bring back any money that exceeds what we would have been paying him if we still had him. We can't right. go over four point six. We cannot. We are in. We are not in the adding money business. We'll take your prospects. We'll take you guys on ELC, but we cannot take any money back here at all. That's what I wonder <clears throat> about. Now, Merrick, it sounds like you aren't convinced of the revenue windfall that is Mullet Arena. Now, I was told by the team and by the commissioner mm -hmm. that there is some math that tells you that they make more money at Mullet Arena than they do in anywhere else. And I say to myself, I don't know how that's possible given the number of seats, given the student I'm section, given sure the lack of concessions, yeah, given the lack of parking. Their seat, yeah. when, when I visited Mullet Arena and they gave me a mullet, I'll always be indebted to them for that. It was very sweet. It was a great <laughs> giveaway, one of my favorites. I walked around that arena and I said to myself, yeah. I am not an economic major. Truth be told, I cheated my butt off in college in economics because I couldn't understand it. <laughs> that being said, I can count the number of concession yeah. stands and I can count the number of seats. And I can say, kind of figure out that oh. they're not exactly making the kind of money they would be making in a different place. But what do I know? Yes, but, uh, but what do I know? But by the way, like, first of all, I really want to go see a game there. It's like great. outside of, I know, the economic ramifications and how the PA feels about it and players feel about it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I just want to see NHL hockey in different venues, in different uh, like places. Like, where you can say, oh, it's a college drink. I remember one, man, I remember one, <laughs> remember one person from, from another team when Jack McBain went at deadline from Minnesota to Arizona. And I was working the desk with Elliot. I got a text from... Uh, uh, a manager with another team who just sent me a text. Was that a trade or a college transfer? And I'm like, oh, geez, man, like that's, <laughs> ooh, wow, harsh, out, come on. But see, I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want to see the NHL at Mullet Arena. I do because yeah. it's a different venue and it would feel kind of cool to sit in a college stadium, a college break and watch an Dude, NHL game. What's it like? It's dope. Like, like it reminded me the best comparison I can make for those who haven't had the chance to do so is that it reminded me of the first time you go to see a play on Broadway and like you're sitting, you know, eighth row, which is not like in front of the mm. stage, but it's not too far away. And like Chris Evans is in front of you. Like Chris Evans is, is eight rows away from you and he's acting and he's not mm. on a screen 30 rows away being Captain America. He's, try to affect the Boston accent and being a cop in a play. And you're that close. That's how, what it feels like being at Mullet Arena. Even when I've sat near the glass 
in an, in an NHL arena. It doesn't feel like this because the entire thing feels so much more intimate because it's a smaller building that even if you have sat near yeah. the glass, even if you do appreciate the speed and the sound of the game as you sit close to the ice, you still haven't experienced it like this because the entire thing feels very much like seeing a band in a small club versus seeing a band in an arena. You know what I really thought you were going to say? How show versus uh, it, WrestleMania? <laughs> no, I thought you were going to say it was like going to ECW Arena. <laughs> there it is. That's why I was like, I'm going to pause. I'm going to leave the silent because I'm waiting for the we, Paul Heyman reference here. I'm waiting for the yeah, ECW Arena reference. We, we, had a, we had a good run of, of these shows without harkening back to the professional wrestling, but I knew it had to end sometime. But you're right. It is very much like that. No, you expect to go to Mullet Arena in here. Ladies and gentlemen, my client, yeah. Sidney Crosby, you know. That's all you want. <laughs> hey, let me ask you about. I, I started the show today by uh, playing a clip from the Robbie and Rex Road show yesterday on uh, 1025 The Game in Nashville and the interview with David Poyle, where he essentially said, Look, we're definitely not builders or uh, buyers, but uh, right now I'm considering whether we're sellers uh, or not. And the next few games will probably, t- uh, will probably betray that. Now, I'm paraphrasing Poyle, but that's essentially what he said. Um, we know they're not going to buy. We know it's hard to move some of those contracts if they do decide to sell. But what is intriguing you about Nashville other than the obvious? Uh, It's not looking good for them and the playoffs. Although Minnesota and Calgary kind of saying, you know what? We're going to say that we want the spot, but we're not going to do anything about it proactively. Uh, (laughs) It doesn't look good for Nashville. The Arizona game was brutal. They got Boston coming up tomorrow. Um, How do you see the Preds right now in light of the David Poyle comments? I don't and like, and I by the way, nothing... does it chum the waters for the the return of Barry Trotz, either as a coach or a general manager? Oh, I think that's going to happen. I think I think there's there's every chance it's going to happen that you know they've talked for years about Poyle being kicked upstairs um, into a role that's yeah. no longer general manager. If if Barry Trotz is ultimately the guy who takes over, I mean, you you, you might want to have somebody who's done a little bit of the old player personnel stuff more than Barry Trotz has. Um, but that being said, he's a franchise icon. You could see him coming back, and it'd be a very comfortable spot for him. He obviously lives in the area. And so, you know, all, all good things for Barry Trotz and a Predators reunion, I think, down the line makes the most sense. What doesn't make sense is the uh, National Predators being sellers. And it doesn't make sense to me, Merrick, because, one, like you said, yeah. most of the players that would be desirable on this team are signed long-term. Matthias Ekholm is a player I think a lot of teams in this league would like. He signed through 2026 at 6.25. Do you really want to make that trade Mm -hmm. at the deadline or is that a summer move? Same thing with Ryan McDonough, you know, who's got trade protection. Do you want to make that trade now or is that a summer move? The other problem with the roster is that we've, we've heard this from Poyle before. We've heard this, whether they're going to be buyers or going to be sellers. They've tried to be sellers. Before the renaissance last year, they really tried to sell. They were hoping the Seattle Kraken took half the roster if they could work it. (laughs) <laughs> so what's changed now? All of a sudden, people are going to be in the Matt Duchesne $8 million AAV through 2026 business. Ryan Johansson, $8 million AAV through 2025. Like now we're going to want those players. No, they're stuck. They're stuck with the roster they built, at least for now. And so the decision to be buyers or sellers, buddy, you already made the decision. You're static. You're not selling and you're certainly not I, buying because you're not a contender. I, you're static. So the first name that you mentioned there, that's the one that stands out to me because I can the see because I'm with you whether it's you know Johansson or or Deshaies, like the Matthias Ekholm like specifically if I'm Edmonton 
Now, I know that Edmonton would much prefer, and I think this has been you know echoed by a lot of the key players, most notably McDavid and, and Dreisaitl, they would much prefer someone that can move the puck, thank you very much, i.e. get the puck to us in the neutral zone. That's their yeah. preference. But you have someone like Matthias Ekholm who's available at 6.25, which I believe is a salary that if they were to make the Eric Carlson deal, for example, that's kind of where they need that salary to be considering right. the players that get moved out. And, you know, we circle someone like Tyson Berry and probably throw Pugliarvi into that mix as well, et cetera, plus, you know, whatever else you're going to give up. So the money looks fine and comfortable for the Edmonton Oilers. That would be the one that would that would jump up to me. If Poyle decides, okay, we're done, we're open for business, if I'm Edmonton, that's the first guy I'm calling about. Absolutely. But I'll, I'll circle back to you on this, though. Like, how many guys with four years, with three more years of term, have we seen moved at the deadline? It's rare. It's a rarity to it's see rare. that. It's rare. It's, 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 well, we saw Burns, but that was off season. He had three more years. And I, I still do expect something to happen with Eric Carlson. I don't know if it's going to be deadline or maybe in the off season and he's got four more years of term. Let's talk about EK for a little if, bit. If, 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 sure, if you want. Okay, so he, he, what I'm, I'm intrigued by him. So tomorrow on ESPN, we're running our top 10 defensemen ranking. Um, the, the thing we, we did mm. with the goalies on Tuesday where we had the players and the executives anonymously give us their lists. We compile them. We get the list. I'm not going to tell you where Carlson falls in the list. Um, suffice it to say that on the list, much like in real life, he is a divisive figure. Um, <laughs> I think there is absolutely no question that he has sacrificed any semblance of defense to do what he's doing offensively this year. Um, but what I'm intrigued by is whether he can flip the switch the other way, become a more complete player, if properly motivated. And if so, what does that then do to the offensive output that currently would rank, I believe it's 12th all time amongst defensemen on a points per game basis. And most of the guys in front of him are named coffee or, or so I'm intrigued to see, like I've talked to people that, that, that know him a little bit. And the, the idea is, you put him in the right situation. You put the carrot of the playoffs in front of him. You make life relevant for him again in a way that obviously playing for the San Jose Sharks is not relevant for him as a competitor. And you're going to see him play D. But what do you think about that? I don't know that you're going to see him play D. All of a sudden, like, <laughs> I, I don't think... I, 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 I don't. Like I just don't see him all of a sudden, you know, turning into this, you know... I don't, think, I don't put it this way. I don't see him turning into Victor Hedman. He's right. a different Swede. Like, you're right. Like, the accent. But I'm okay with that. Like, Are I'm, you I'm fine with that if you have other... I am. I, I really am. And, and here's why I love it. Um, I'm trying to give you a historical example. So... Oh, there's a surprise. <laughs> hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Okay, here you go. Here it is. Here it is. Here it is. So, Vern Buffy once told <laughs> Scotty Bowman... You'll love this. Once told Scotty okay. Bowman... If you have a 40-goal scorer, don't try to turn him into a checker to make him a two-way player. Take your 40-goal right. scorer and try to make him a 50-goal scorer, i.e., right. this is what he does. Make him do it the best. And if I'm Edmondson, I'm like, look, we want Eric Carlson. 
not Eric Carlson, you know, this like silly putty that we're going to massage into some form that we think you should be. No, we want Eric Carlson. Big risky plays that almost always work. Three or four points a night. Continue to, you know, just juice this sweet power play that we have. Like just complete tidal wave of offense. That's what we wanted you. And most importantly, get the puck to Connor and Leon up the ice mm-hmm. so they don't have to start that's from the, deep in their own zone. That's the sexiest part for me. Like what, what makes Hedman Hedman in some ways is his ability to make that pass, is his ability to have yes. the ice vision, yes. to make an outlet pass from his own, from, yes. from his own goal line and send those guys down the ice. It's what he, he's, he's the, arguably the, one of the best we've seen at it for a player of his defensive prowess, right? So, like, that's what gets the, me excited about Carlson. He's the best at it. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. That's what gets me excited about Carlson in, in Edmonton. But let me, let me say three quick things. First of all, power play is already clicking at 31%. Like what is he gonna do? What is what does his addition do? Get you to fifty? Make it forty percent. Like, like make it okay. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. I mean, the power play is still pretty good. I don't think they really have like when the Islanders went out and got Bo Horvat, it was because their power play was clicking at like eight percent, right? Like like they needed a guy. The, Ed- yes. the Ed- Edmonton Oilers don't it. need a power play yeah. guy. Now the the second thing is that when you think about the the teams that challenge for the cup. They all do. I mean, listen, the, the, the DNA of a championship team in this league is you have to have a, a number one center for the most part outside of like the year that Chicago won with like Anisimov or whatever. You have to have like two good centers, yeah. right? And then you need to have a, a top line elite D and then you need a goalie that doesn't lose you series. That's kind of my DNA for a championship team. Mm-hmm. Two good centers, elite defensemen, goalie who doesn't cost you. The, the, the teams that have elite defensemen that have won or challenged for the cup, okay, their names are like Kale McCarr, Adam Fox, Victor Hedman. These yep. are more well-rounded players than Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson at this point in his career is kind of like latter-day Al Pacino where all the nuance in his performances is gone and it's just yelling. <laughs> it's just like his character <laughs> from Heat all the time just yelling. And that's great. Maybe you need yeah. that for your movie. But I think back to like Dog Day Afternoon. I'm like, wouldn't you like maybe him? He's the guy who wins your movie an Oscar yeah. more than the yelling guy does. And so that's kind of where I am on Carlson. I, I would love to see him on Edmonton. To see him playing with play with Connor and Leon would be an offensive-minded fan's dream. But I don't know mm-hmm. if it's necessarily the best thing in service of them winning a Stanley Cup and making it four rounds in the playoffs to do so. So you'd be warmer to Ekholm then instead of Carlson? If you were Edmund. Or, I mean, yeah, or, or like, I don't know. I, I, there's no other option besides, like, th- those are the two extremes, right? Like, there's no, you can't just go go knock yeah. on, on like, um, Vegas's door and say, we'll take Shea Theodore. Like, you can't do that. But that's the type of defenseman I would rather see in this spot for them. Someone who's a bit more well-rounded yeah, than Eric those- Carlson. Uh, it will be interesting to see, because I, I think it's like, I don't know. It's so hard to handicap these things. I would look at the, the, I mentioned this on the weekend, the Carlson situation with Edmonton. And I'm like, "Mm, 70, 30, that it doesn't happen. There's just like way too many roadblocks and and hurdles here. And I think one of the big ones is the guy that signs the checks in San Jose saying, you want me to do what? But then you can turn around and say like, look, like you're not going to be a good team for a while. You're paying $11.5 million to a guy who's going to score a bunch of empty net, uh, empty, uh, empty calorie points. 
Like, okay, so he wins a Norris Trophy. That's awesome. Whatever production he has in these, you know, these wasted years as San Jose redevelops itself, they're going to be, for all intents and purposes, respectfully, kind of meaningless here. This is your chance to get out from under half of that contract. Not going to be good for three or four years anyway. Here, Would you like to get out from under half of that contract? But I don't know. That's a big ask, man. I talked to one team that was, you know, rumored to be talking about with uh, the San Jose Sharks and the GM texted me back and essentially said, are you insane? Do you understand <laughs> what you're asking San Jose to do? Like that is yeah. like, you, like, think about what you're asking San Jose through, to do here. Like, I think that's the one thing that we're not giving enough, enough attention. That is so, like, I know that the Minnesota Wild have put themselves in self, you know, have, have, have put themselves in, you know, salary cap prison here. Right, that's self-inflicted. That is a decision. That's what they're going to do deliberately. Still going to try to be as competitive as possible, but we're going to jail for a while here. I don't know that San Jose wants to do the same. I really but I don't. mean, in, in fairness to to, I mean, the Wild will tell you that they, there were other reasons inherent why they had to do that. They felt in order to move the team forward. I don't think I San Jose is in that same situation with Carlson. Um, can I can I ask a question that I'm not sure has been asked, and, and maybe it's because he can't sure. answer it? Do we know he wants to go to Edmonton? <laughs> like, um, like, I'm of the belief that he does. One would assume, right, to play with Connor and Leon, but it was a time not too long ago, I remember hearing yeah. from people that know him a little bit, that it was Ottawa or it was a Floridian team. I mean, I hope he wants to go. It'd be great for all of us if he wants to play in Edmonton. I hope that Connor I, is is like the the flame yeah. the flame that draws all the moths to play in Edmonton. It's good for that city. It's good for that franchise. But he's got a full no move. Like, does he want to go? Uh, he does. He has talked plenty about wanting to win and winning a Stanley Cup. And you know, I'm not getting any younger. Um, I, I, it's interesting to bring up Florida too because that might be the only other team that I would look at here. And you can't do it this season just because of the salary cap. But when things loosen up a little bit for the Florida Panthers as early as this offseason, I wonder if that would be the other option for Carlson here, or the other option for the San Jose Sharks if they're going to make that move. But the other thing, you know, is that talking to someone on the weekend, it's like, how many opportunities are you going to have to do this? Like, how many times is Mm -hmm. Eric Carlson going to have a season like this where, you know, he's, you know, he like, dude, Eric Carlson might win the Norris Trophy. You gotta sell high. You gotta times, sell high. You're absolutely right. How many times right. left? To, yeah, that's it. Like, how many times are they gonna have this opportunity staring at them in the face? But he's Man, talked I'm, so much I'm, about if, winning. Yeah, if I'm the Sharks, I'm so pissed off about revenues not being where they should be right now. Because, like, if we did get that spike in the cap next year that they, that Batman talked about in December. Like, this would be so much easier. <laughs> it would be so much easier to well, do this you know, if you were the Sharks. You know what's interesting about that is one, one person told me, because I was, I was presenting the scenario, and like, oh, that's a big ask of the San Jose Sharks. And this person said to me, like, look, maybe not this summer, but the cap's going to start to go up, like, pretty quickly and pretty high. Right. Like, it sounds awful right now, but, you know, in the next few years, it might be a little bit more palatable. And this is your shot to do it. Right. Anyway, so like, and like you said, you have to do it. You have to. I mean, he's not going to be at one point three three points per game. Like, like again, probably. Like you got to do it now. No, if you're them, this is your chance to do it. Okay, uh, I want to get to your piece here at, uh, at ESPN.com. So I uh, I love pieces like this. 
Um, <laughs> players ranking players. So yeah, so so who's who's involved in this voting? Like I'm not going to give me names, but give me give me a little bit more than we interviewed some people. Well, it was it was all it was all done through anonymous surveys, right? So like we gave them uh, a curated list of like 35, 25 to thirty five names for center, winger, defenseman, goaltender. Um, we did this this gimmick uh, in 2021 and just wanted to repeat it. So it's like 10 players, uh, a wide range of, of different places in their careers. You've got veterans, we got journeymen, we got mm-hmm. stars, you got young guys. And then we had um, 10 team executives of varying degrees of, of import, be it general manager, be it coaches, be it player personnel guys. So it's a good mix of, of different viewpoints and different generations and different outlooks. And it all culminates in these top 10 rankings, which I like a lot because I think that there's the fan narratives, there's the media narratives, and then there's what the people inside the game believe to be true. And sometimes they'll sync up and sometimes they won't. And I think the best example on this list based on the feedback so far is the idea that John Gibson is the ninth best goalie in the national hockey league right now, which I don't think anybody in the fan community or the media would have said for the last four years, but yet here he is. Yeah, but yet here he is. That that is an interesting one. But but the and, and just so we're all on the same page, you can read this um, at ESPN.com. Uh, number one is Andre Vasilevsky, and if you saw that toe save when it was two to one last night for Colorado, Oof. and it stayed two to one, you'd say like, okay, yeah. That toe save last night, that's why that guy's number one, to say nothing of his performance in the shootout last night. Um, Igor Shosturkin, last year's Vesna. Okay, get it, got it, makes sense. Uh, Connor Hellebuck at number three, can make a case again for this season. Ilya Sorokin is a fascinating one coming in at four. And Jake Ottinger, who's, listen, just having another boffo season. I don't know, the next Carey Price. How do you want to describe Jake Ottinger at this point? Those are the top five. Here's, here's my question. I remember I used to always talk to Berkey about this when we worked together because Brian's point was um, it shouldn't be general managers that vote on this one because general (laughs) managers (laughs) are the ones that mess up picking goaltenders with (laughs) alarming frequency. Why, why do they make us vote for the goalie of the year? It's obvious we don't understand them. Um, Do you have a, a thought on who should vote for the Vesna? If it's not going to be GMs because they consistently mess up? I mean, it shouldn't be goalie coaches necessarily, right? I mean, they're going to – because goalie coaches goalie coaches are, are, are interesting because they I think they're all sort of like they're uh, into their own religions. You know, like they're sticklers for, their, for a particular style. They're sticklers for a, a certain way that they want their goalies to play, and then they kind of frown upon goalies that don't play that way. At least it's been my experience with goalie coaches. Um I don't know. That's a really good question. I mean, should they, should you turn it over to the goalie community in the See, league? I, yes, that's what I was getting to. Like, I, I'm I'm reading this piece and I'm saying to myself, what would Kevin Woodley think? What would Mike McKenna think? Like, there are a lot of you know goaltenders, ex goaltenders, people in the goaltending community who spend a lot more time drilling down on what makes a goaltender good than we do. 
and they understand the nuance of the position and they understand what they are doing and why certain goaltenders don't fit in with certain styles of play and why a goaltender like Linus Olmark will look lights out with the Boston Bruins and was really challenged, or as we like to say, was really hard to hit when he played with the Buffalo Sabres, <laughs> if you catch my drift. Like, there are people that specialize in this, mm-hmm. right? And those are two that I put together like that, you know, that that gold medal panel of people who have been doing this their whole life and run things yeah. like In Goal Magazine. Or, like, it, it, that's who I would turn all of this recreation over to. So, so. We had some goalies involved in this, so you know that's part of the part of the thing is to make sure that we do have every position represented. It's not going to be completely yeah. in sync with the percentages of of the people in the league, but we did have some goalies involved in this just to let you know let you know that there is a little bit of expertise behind this. Um, I think that's a really interesting thought, and um, I did hear from some people in that community after this ran, and I can tell you that they uh, are wondering what the hell John Gibson is doing ninth. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, I know it's a that's thought. the like, one that'll stand. That'll, that's the one that'll, that's the but, one that'll stand out. That, that, that is, I think there's but a then, lot but then of, again, like, much a, like, a, but, 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 but much like I, much like I look at, at the presence of Lena Solmark with the Boston Bruins and we're talking about Vesna trophy for this guy. Again, I just wonder about John Gibson on another team. Right, it's tough, right, exactly, man. and 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 that team bias creeps in. I mean, there's probably a reason why Freddie Anderson, besides the the health situation, doesn't make this list. It's because oh, he plays behind the Carolina Hurricanes, who are like a machine. Um, I mean, there was the thought yeah. of Darcy Kemper last year, the Carolina the, the Colorado Avalanche winning despite him. He didn't make the cut either. I will say this about goalies and stats and the goalie community. I'll never forget this conversation I had with Ben Bishop once about goalie stats, and I tried to. I was asking him. What do you value? Like, what do you look at? What is your statistical assessment of a goaltender? We went through some of the analytics that are being used by goalie coaches. We went through some of the, you know, non-traditional stats that you can find them in, in places like Money Puck and Evolving Hockey. And he said, yep. he said, wins. I'm like, wait a second, dude. We spend the majority of our time talking about how dumb the GMs are for constantly giving the Vezina to the guy <laughs> with the most wins. You're telling me it's wins? He's at the end of the day, we got to win a game. <laughs> like that's, that's what we're there for is we, our job is to win games. Like you can park all yeah. that save percentage, expect the goal stuff. You can park that. That's great. That describes how we win games. But at the end of the day, you got to win games. And that's always stuck with me that like, yeah, but hang on. guys but, that but, I, hang I really on respected, but, but boils but, it down to that. But, but Mr. Bishop, with, with all due respect, Goaltenders aren't allowed to cross center ice. There's only so much you could do. Right. No. I agree. I, and that's why I, it kind of staggered I, me. I, because... I, 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 but you know what, though? That is such a hockey answer. Right. Like, that's what Marty Berdura used to always answer, too. And everyone used to gobble it all up like Pac-Man. Oh, it's all, yeah, wins, wins, wins. <sighs> I don't know, man. That's such a hockey thing because that, you know, that 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 tugs at every coach's and manager's heartstring. Oh, this guy's wired to win. This guy just cares about winning and all that. Like we're talking about the nuance of a position. Right? We're talking about like who is the finest at their position. And we have a lot more tools now. And again, still insufficient, but we have a lot more tools now than we did twenty years ago to actually figure out who's doing good. 
You know, who's right. a good goaltender? And it can't just be who's won the but, most games. I know that's how a but, lot of managers will think because that's the only thing that concerns them. But I'm talking about the nuance of a position. Sure. But let's, let's, I know we're running out of time here, but like Martin Jones. Martin Jones is rocking an 892 save percentage. Martin Jones is 23 Winning wins. Games, baby. Games. Winning games, baby. Winning games, baby. And, and again, if you yeah. ask the Kraken, he's done what they didn't get yeah. last year, which is to make the save when they needed it. Now, he's not making all of them. He's got an 892 save percentage. But he's making the saves they need yeah. when, he, when they need him. And he's got three shutouts. So how do you assess his season? Because if you ask Martin Jones, I guarantee you the first thing he's going to tell you is, 23, baby. I got the Jordan Wins. in the win column. That's my season. <laughs> You know what? Whether it's Kevin Woodley, I want to throw Steve Valaket into that mix as well. Oh, absolutely. Analytics. He's, He's someone that should be yeah. part of this one. Maybe just hand like Jesus, hand the whole thing over to Valley. Like here, here you go. You you tell us who's good. Um, you tell us who's who's doing what. I mean, goaltending is the most fascinating position of any of, of any of any position in any sport. We we all look at it. We all say the exact same. We we all see the exact. I shouldn't say that we don't see the exact same thing, but we all see what's happening, and everybody's got a different interpretation of it. And that's why I default to the Valakets and the Woodleys and the McKennas, because they have. Like I'll, I'll put it to you this way: I've always loved goaltenders. Growing, I think when you're a kid, you gravitate towards goalies because hockey is cool. For a lot of reasons. One, because you get to wear superhero equipment, and I don't think we give that enough concert. <laughs> What's cool about playing hockey as a kid is you get to put on superhero equipment. You don't get right, that in right. basketball. You don't get that in baseball. To an extent, you get that in football, but you put on superhero stuff. Like that's fun when you're a kid, but the right. real superhero equipment are the goaltenders. So I've always been yeah. fascinated with goalies, and I think a lot of us have. But the thing about guys like Valley and Woodley and McKenna is they teach me how to love something that I already loved in a way that I didn't know was possible. That's why I love those guys. And that's why I love talking to those guys because I learned something about this thing that I've loved my entire life and they show me there's a whole different way to even further my love for that position. That's why I hand the whole thing over to those guys. The thing, the thing I love about those guys is that they expose the Grand Canyon-sized gap between public perception and internal numbers when it comes to goaltending. I, I've never come away from a conversation with a Woodley or Valaket or or any of these guys yeah. and not have had a conversation that goes something like, well, Jordan Bennington stinks. And then one of them goes... Well, actually, according to our <laughs> metrics, he's the fifth best well, goalie in the league. And you're like, that is impossible. So every time every time I talk to those guys, there's always some guy who gets maligned by the public that the media trashes, yep. that some of the, the, the more available yeah. stats to us tell us he's not good. He's below replacement. He's below expected. And then you talk to these guys, and they're like, actually, by this metric that I trust, he's really good. And it's such it, it never fails. And it's only goalies that you get that Let on, me... not skaters or defensemen. Let me give you an example. Okay, so because you mentioned Jordan Bennington. So Jordan Bennington's backup when the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup was Jake Allen. And mm -hmm. here, and you tell me how valuable this was to the St. Louis Blues. So Jake Allen, when you talk about, you know, the student of the game, that's Jake Allen. Okay? Mm -hmm. Like Jake Allen is goaltender for life. 
like when he's done, he's going to be one of the great, you know, teachers and he'll run camps and he's just the, the, he's going to join this line of, of Woodley's and Valakets and McKenna's, et cetera. Like he is the goalie's goalie. That's Jake Allen to the point where he had, and still does have this uncanny ability to mimic the movement patterns of other goaltenders in the NHL. And one of the things that he did for the St. Louis Blues as a backup when they won the Stanley Cup is he was able to practice and turn himself into Tuka Rask Hmm. during practice because he could mimic Hmm. the movement patterns of Tuka Rask. So St. Louis Blues shooters, you might as well put a Bruins jersey on them, were able (laughs) to get comfortable with shooting on to Karask, even though it was actually Jake Allen. Tell right. me that wasn't valuable right. to winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah. It's like, it's like having a quarterback in, in practice that can mimic how, uh, you know, going when you're trying to defend against a pocket passer versus defend against somebody who, who rushes the ball a lot as a quarterback. Like you need somebody who can mimic that in practice yeah. too. It's an invaluable step. It's an invaluable talent. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, what I don't love is we're out of time. But great piece. Ah, so what, what's coming up next? You got goaltenders goal down, and what do you got next? Yeah. Defenseman tomorrow, um, which is a really, really interesting list for a lot of reasons. And uh, and then we get uh, uh, wingers and centers uh, next week that also hold their own surprises. It's a Tuesday-Thursday joint. So uh, goalies around Tuesday, gotcha. defenseman tomorrow, and then Tuesday-Thursday next week for the final two. And it's a, again, it's a really, really fun project. Massive undertaking. Huge props to my uh, partners in crime. Kristen Shelton and Ryan Clark for uh, their assistance in making it happen. Awesome. Uh, and one final thing, so I just uh, had a peek at your Twitter feed a couple of uh, a couple of minutes ago. Um, if there were, because I know you're a New Jersey Devil guy, because there was that woman <laughs> that had Jack Hughes' autograph tattooed on her. <laughs> if there were one New Jersey Devil from the past that you would, whose autograph you would have tattooed somewhere on your body, Greg Wyshynski, who would that New Jersey Devil be? Oh, it would have. I mean, I would try to pick the longest name, right? So maybe like <laughs> Brandy Velashek. Oh, dude, you I have one coming. I, I, Shakira, I, I, hang on. No, you you have one coming right now. Uh, first round, um, Shakira Mukamadoulin. Right, Mukamadoulin. Yeah, he's there you coming. Go. Longest, longest New Jersey longest Devils name. name. Have it running down my entire <laughs> arm. Again, I saw that video of Hughes signing that that, that fan's arm, and I'm just like. There's there's yeah. a reason why Devils attendance is what it is right now. That kid is an absolute celebrity on a magnitude that I that know. franchise has never had. It's great. It's great. He's a star. Um, listen, bud, we'll talk in seven days. Great piece on uh, on the top goaltenders. Thanks, pal. Thanks. Take care, everybody. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, MBSW, H, and every Wednesday here on the program.